Hey everybody, welcome to the Globe Bears podcast. We're a bunch of golden bears who go to the University of California, Berkeley, and we're all very passionate about international relations. Um, here today, uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff dealing with the presidential election. But before that, uh, we're going to introduce ourselves very quickly. Um, Isabel, why don't you go first? Hi, I'm Isabel. I am a sophomore at UC Berkeley, and my major is political science with a minor in human rights. Great. I can go next, I guess. I'm yeah. Caitlin Lenkite. I'm an incoming transfer student at UC Berkeley, and my major is global studies with a concentration in peace and conflict and an area focus on um, Europe and Russia, and then with a minor in uh, public policy. Hi, my name is Will Bogdan. I am a senior here at UC Berkeley, majoring in global studies with an emphasis in development in Asia and a minor in Chinese language. Uh, my name is Billy Lin. I'm a senior at Cal. Uh, I study computer science, uh, but I'm passionate about all, all things IR. Um, and yeah, let's just get right into the discussion for today. Uh, as we all know today, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, or even in the past week, uh, with the presidential election in the United States. Uh, and we have a lot of things to talk about with regards to that. Uh, Caitlin, do you want to start us off? Yeah, so um, as I'm sure a lot of most everyone knows now we don't um in the united states elect our presidents by direct popular vote instead we have a system that's called the electoral college and i know for myself i wasn't exactly sure what it was so the electoral college is basically a winner-take-all system by which each state has a certain amount of representatives that then vote on who um who wins those votes and it's made up of however many representatives that state has in congress so that's a combination of the house of representatives and their senators so every single area has at least three so it's made up of um one representative for each of the senators plus one for each of their house of representatives um, and then also three for the District of Columbia. So that gives us a total of 538 electoral um, votes. So by that, um, the president, the winner of the presidential election is not whoever wins the popular vote, it's whoever wins the majority of electoral college votes. So the magic number for the election was 270. Um, as of right now, there's three states that ha that have not finished counting and have not been officially called. So North Carolina, Georgia, and Arizona. Um, even with those three, um, Biden has 279 electoral college um, votes currently. Um, and right now we're looking at, he's probably going to win Arizona and Georgia as well. Um, and then North Carolina is probably going to go for President Trump, which would end up um, giving him 306 electoral college votes. So um, what's interesting about this election, obviously, is the fact that President Trump has not conceded the election. Um, mm. And it's 
one of very few elections in recent memory that have not had um have not been immediately called. Um, the most notable would be the 2000 elections, which was actually determined by the Supreme Court. Um, that one was completely down to which direction Florida would go. And after they completed their counts, Florida had a margin, vote margin, by which um, George W. Bush won. By He won it by a total of 537 votes completely. And there was a huge um, discrepancy there with how they were doing recounts. There was a certain kind of ballot that was a punch out ballot and some of them had been thrown out because of improper um, ballot punches. So that was the whole hanging Chad discrepancy. And the Supreme Court actually came in and said that then stopped counting and by that then was what determined the results of those elections. Anyway, wow. President Trump um, has refused to concede. There's been a lot of legal battles that he's, he's put out. Many of those, most of those have already been thrown out for not having enough standing. Um, as of right now, there's definitely going to be a recount in Georgia. Um, because the state, Georgia's Secretary of State has requested an election, um, a recount, and there will likely also be a recount in Wisconsin. However, to put that in perspective, the amount in Florida, as I said, that determined the 2000 election was 500, was just over 500 votes um, cast. But looking at the um, the margins here. The closest is Arizona, which again, I said, hasn't been called yet. Um, Biden's leading there by just over 11,000 votes. Um, he's leading in Georgia by 14,000 votes. Pennsylvania is the one that was the determining um, of pushing him over the 270 vote margin or 270 electoral college margin. And he's winning there currently by 50, over 50,000 votes. So wow. even with recounts, um, it's very, very unlikely that anything would get flipped. Recounts typically will switch the vote counts in the range of um, hundreds or maybe a little over a thousand votes. So not anywhere near enough to actually flip the election. And so it's, it's really troubling for just the everyone's faith in our um, electoral system, because right now it's just about eight in 10 um, Americans believe that Biden won the election free and fairly, a free and fair election. And so it's troubling to me at least that so many people, that almost 20, that 20% 20 of people don't believe that. And that, um, is also troubling because there's a system, the system for transition has not started. There's a, um, a system called um, ascertainment um, that starts the transition period and it can't begin until something called the General Services Administration um, ascertains the successful candidate. 
Um, and because of that, millions of dollars is not eligible for the Biden transition team. So he can't hire people to start looking at things. And also he hasn't been able to receive the presidential daily intelligence briefings yet, um, which is troubling because that throws the new administration behind. Um, the last time that that was thrown behind was again in that 2000 election. And to put that in perspective, the 9-11 commission after September 11th named that delay as one of the contributing factors to not being able to be ready for those events. Oh, wow. So just a lot of really important things happening by refusing to concede this election. Wow, that was very informative. Thanks, Caitlin. Um, yeah, so that's, that's definitely very interesting. And, and I do remember seeing like a press conference of Mike Pompeo, uh, saying like, people are asking him like, Hey, you know, what's going on? Is there going to be a, you know, transition to the next presidency? And he said, uh, well, yes, there is going to be a, a smooth transition, uh, to a second, uh, Trump, Trump administration. Uh, presidency mm -hmm. administration. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was interesting. He's doing that. He's pushing the, um, free and fair elections abroad, but then not willing to concede our own election. You know, where does that put yeah. us then in pushing for free elections elsewhere? Yeah. Isabel, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the whole world can agree that this 2020 election has literally been unlike any other in American history. And it's just been quite shocking. But yeah, thank you, Caitlin, for your <laughs> very informative recap on the election. Of course. Um, well, well, today. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, yeah, Will, what's your opinion? Yeah, I, I, I find uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's comments um, contradictive and especially because if you go on Twitter onto uh, the U.S. Department of State's account, they always retweet all the U.S. Uh, dignitaries always calling for free and fair elections across the entire world and condemning um, each instance of election conspiracy or uh, countries not conceding to free and fair elections. So it's interesting that he wouldn't even um, wait to see for the results and just automatically said there will be a smooth transition to the second Trump administration. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm looking at like Bill Barr and also his, his actions of like authorizing his prosecutors to like look into cases of election fraud. And I also, you know, these cases, right? Like, do you guys know how many like votes could be discounted because, because of election fraud, if there was any, there would have to be a proof of fraud happening, a substantial proof of fraud happening in order for there to be an investigation into them, is my understanding. And so far, there has not been substantial proof. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's not the only race that's going on, right? Like, you know, the presidency is, is very important. Is very important, but there's also Senate races going on everywhere. One of the most surprising things going on uh, is happening in Georgia. 
uh, and I and I think that you mentioned that Georgia was also, you know, one of the close states, Caitlin, uh, that was being counted. Um, not only in the presidential race, but also in the Senate race. And I think that uh, John, John, uh, Ossoff, Ossoff, Ossoff. I remember seeing posters like "Vote your Ossoff" or something. I was like, "Oh, okay, that's how you say it." Um, but I do remember like he's doing like runoff elections with um, with I, I don't know his David Perdue. Is that is that his opponent? Mm -hmm. Um, with David Perdue uh, in January, right? Um, and that's going to determine the Senate majority, uh, depending on how many seats they get in Georgia. Yeah, I think I can talk more about that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was planning on talking about the 2020 Senate results, you know, just another race going on simultaneously. And just like a quick overview of how the Senate works um, is that there's two senators per state and they represent their states in the legislative branch where they all come together as Congress and there's 100 senators total. And their main side job is really to work alongside the House of Representatives and enact legislation and utilize investigative powers. And so this year, the Democrats were hoping for a huge blue wave, um, hoping to flip the, flip the Senate, which is currently a majority Republican. And in order to do that, they needed to flip four seats, but so far they've only flipped two, which have been Arizona and Colorado. But um, that actually is not even close to being enough now because Alabama ended up flipping their Democratic seat to a new Republican Party member. And so right now, the current standing is that there's 50 Republicans to 48 Democrats in the Senate, meaning that the Democrats need two more to, to make a tie. And their last hope is, yeah, like you said, kind of falling onto Georgia. I mean, Joe Biden was the first Democrat, Democratic president to win Georgia since 1992. So this year has just been very unusual. And it was super unprecedented, this win, that I personally think. And um, the Democratic majority in the Senate relies on Georgia as well. Because what happened is that neither of the Senate um, candidates in Georgia ended up getting 50% of the vote. And that is Georgia's law that both um, candidates have to get 50% of the vote. So they're going to be doing a another um, Senate race on January 5th. And like say that both seats turn Democratic, that'll lead to a 50-50 tie and Kamala Harris, the new vice president, will be able to break that tie in the legislative chamber giving the Democrats the upper hand. But this might be unrealistic with Georgia being a historically red state. But I mean, you never know with the way presidential events have, you know, currently turned out. But I don't know, Caitlin, you just talked about the presidential race. What's your opinion on the January Senate race in Georgia and them potentially giving the Democrats a tie in the Senate? Yeah, I think it's going to be really tough um, because not only is like as you said um georgia has been t typically very um pretty red voting um but now you have the fact that this isn't a major election and a lot of runoffs and non-presidential elections tend to be a little bit more favorable for republicans because um, you have less voter turnout from younger people who tend to vote Democratic and older people um, who vote all the time tend to vote Republican. So it tends to skew a little bit more. But then there's also the fact that um, 
you know, because this is such a high stakes election, there's going to be so many people from around the country putting money into Georgia. And that kind of can turn people off sometimes, I think, when their local um, politics become nationalized. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know if you guys saw um, Andrew Yang said that he was going to be moving to Georgia. Um, I saw that. And, you know, I don't know how much uh, Georgians like Andrew Yang in general, so we'll see if that's helpful for them. Um, But um, so there's the two races. Um, Billy, you mentioned that there's um, Ossoff versus Purdue, but then there's also um, uh, Kelly Loeffler is the um, incumbent for the special election. Um, and she's running against Raphael Warnock. I think if any of the um, ones do flip, I think that one might be more likely. Um, if you guys remember back in April, maybe it was, when it um, it came out that several um, senators had purchased and sold certain stocks after their um, after their briefings on COVID related things. Kelly Loeffler was one of those senators who sold a bunch of her like airline stocks type things and purchased um, remote working software, um, things like that. So I don't think she's as popular. I think the Ossoff Purdue race is going to be a lot closer so it's going to be close. Yeah, I, I really agree with what you said. And I remember reading something about how Georgia said that, you know, they already went blue for the presidential race. And like you said, a lot of the voter turnout was, I think, not as many young people. And they also said that maybe because like they already went blue for the presidential, they may stay closer to home and go red for the Senate race. So it's really all up in the air. But, um, Will, also, we have to talk about the House election. Do you want to speak yes, more we, on that? Yes, we do. Yeah. So the House race, um, which was not supposed to be a shocking election, actually turned out to be a lot closer than expected for Democrats. Um, so the House of Representatives has 435 voting seats, um, and the Democrats were holding the majority and were expected to win big and even maybe pick up an even larger majority. But as it turns out, um, the Democrats have not had the most successful election in the House of Representatives as the Republican Party have flipped uh, more than six seats and have taken an independent seat. Um, and the current totals as of, as of November 11th are uh, the Democrats do hold the majority still at 218 seats. Republicans hold 202 and there are 15 remaining races to be called Um However, Nancy, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, says that um, in 2018, uh, they won 40 more seats because Trump wasn't on the ballot. And she says that because Trump was on the ballot, uh, it was a steeper climb. But there have been critics saying that um, it's actually the Democratic Party themselves in advertising and not being able to connect to the people, um, which is the reason why they've been losing these races. I don't know if anybody else here has an opinion, but... Um, certainly I can see how, uh, people who support the democratic party could be, um, angered that you could have such high predictions going in and then come out with 
less seats than you hoped. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was actually curious as to your guys' opinion on that, because that's definitely something contentious. Like, is it the progressives um, that are to blame, you know, um, because obviously some progressive ideals and goals are still popular. I mean, Florida passed an initiative to have a $15 minimum wage, um, which is, you know, something that Bernie Sanders pushed. Um, but then if you look at polling from before the election, um, Joe Biden overperformed polls compared to a lot of the representatives and senators. So does that mean that Biden was the right choice? Was it better to have someone more moderate as rather than, you know, someone like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders on the presidential ticket? Would they have won considering how close it was? That's a good yeah. question. I, I definitely question. think that uh, there were there were a lot of swing voters this election who didn't want to vote for Trump, so they voted for Joe Biden, but they weren't willing to let go of the Republican base regarding the Senate and House races. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's something that we probably won't, won't know for now because, um, I mean, polls have just, I mean, I think the reputation of polls has just been dwindling ever since the 2016 election. Like people have just been like attacking polls from both the left and the right. Um, but, yeah, who knows? One and thing, also, like, mm-hmm. one thing that I saw that was interesting: someone linked um, the prevalence of QAnon believers to how unreliable the polls were. And so, I wonder if there's something there with regional, um, like, reluctance to answer to perceived authority figures. And maybe not trusting polls and then not an- not answering polls. And maybe that's why they're missing out on a representative sample. Because that's there are some areas where the polls were really good. Then you have other places like Maine, where um, the Senate race there like showed that that would flip. Um, like you have to go back to like June or July to find one that was... Um, I'm blanking on her name now. Um, Collins? Yeah, for Susan Collins. Um, And it showed that she would lose by about 10 points, but then she didn't. Wow. So are you saying, like, are are these QAnon QAnon conspirators, maybe they're saying that they're going to vote the other way, making making the polls think, hey, look, you know, we got a big advantage here, but then when in reality, it's actually... Nope, we're going to vote red, uh, just to kind of throw people off some more. That could be a possibility, right? Yeah, maybe. I think that maybe there's something there about just like distrust in in institutions, Mm. like distrust in science and distrust in government, and that could then link to how you answer polls. Yeah, that's a big trend, right? Like. also with like the climate agreement, um, just like, you know, science, climate change. And, you know, I mean, Biden pledged that 
he would put the United States back into the climate agreement, which is kind of reassuring because, you know, if I were to, if I were to have grandchildren, if I were to have children, then I'd want them to, you know, stay on earth rather than risk their lives going to Mars on Elon Musk spaceships, right? Um, but yeah. Will, do you have any final thoughts, Isabel? Well, I, Billy, I actually wanted to ask you, um, uh-huh. What your thoughts are on the California propositions uh, this past election? Because I know there were there was a bunch of them, and there was a lot of a lot of ones that were controversial. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that. Uh, I think it was Proposition Twenty Two that was the one that Uber and Lyft and all of them got together. Uh, I mean, they worked. Uh, they, I got so many emails from Uber. I was like, "Look, I'm not even using Uber here in Canada," and you're just giving me like tens, dozens of emails just to say, vote yes on Prop 22. Um, was it vote yes or, or vote? I don't know. Yeah, they wanted um, you to vote yes. Do you think yeah. that um, people were clear about that? Because that one surprised me. I thought that it would go towards um, labor protection for workers. Mm-hmm. Well, some people are calling it the greatest advertising campaign of all time because people found that Uber and Lyft were misleading voters in saying that voting yes would give them everything that voting no actually would, which is health care and protections. Yeah, because it like was making some concessions for where they were before, but not meeting the standards for the previous I don't remember what the prop number was for in a previous year when we voted to make them employees. So I was just curious whether you thought people were clear that that was essentially taking rights away that would have been granted otherwise. I mean, I think it has to do with like, I mean, I don't think that people fact check these emails that Uber sends out anyway. And the same goes for like Facebook and, you know, Twitter is kind of making a change and that they're calling out some tweets or saying that, Hey, look, you know, this isn't verified, but when you're sending out emails, when like, like Uber and Lyft, I don't think anybody's really checking that, especially when they're going directly to your inbox. Um, so I think that might be an issue for, for future, uh, for future, you know, elections to cover. Like, how do you, how do you even combat that? Like um, that level of, you know, if, if there was any like misinformation, um, I saw Sasha Baron Cohen, you know, have a very angry tweet today about Facebook. Like, hey, look, Facebook, you know, you really need to step your game up. These, this is really like dangerous. Like about misinformation about Biden, uh, not winning the election. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a very interesting battle. And if I do see if I do see Bora interviewing Mark Zuckerberg in the future, I would. I would definitely watch that interview. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Yeah. Were there any other um, propositions that surprised you guys? Um, I think the uh, Prop 16 was the affirmative action one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I saw a lot of my friends posting, like, in favor of of Prop 16. in favor of Prop 16, I think, um, just saying like, yeah, we should uh, we should bring back affirmative action in California. Um, but the thing is, I think that it's still like, it's a bias because you know we're all college we're all college age people, and that's the environment that we surround ourselves around. And I think it's natural to be surprised if 
you know, something more conservative like happens, um, which is which is what happened, which is what happened. I, I think processing did fail, um, you know, probably due to the people who aren't always on our Instagram feed saying like, hey, look, you know, uh, vote yes on this, vote yes on this, vote no on that. Um, but yeah. The one that surprised me, I don't remember which number it was, was the one mm -hmm. to raise property taxes on properties properties worth more than $3 million, I think it was. And that one failed also. To raise taxes mm -hmm. on... Oh, okay. So that's like... To raise taxes for education and, and things like that. Okay. So that's like a, that's like a rich person tax, right? <laughs> yes, essentially <laughs> okay um yeah i don't know i i'm surprised that i'm surprised that uh that one failed because i think that that type of sentiment is actually pretty popular in california yeah, <laughs> or maybe it's also the price if you yeah. if you think about voter turnout i mean the older generation turns out better than the younger generation so anybody who is close to that property value is for sure gonna vote no on that yeah, that's true. Don't yeah. you think, I wonder what percentage of properties are valued at more than $3 million, though. Mm. That's a good question. And then also how many renters versus landlords and property owners And that yeah. one was, was it Prop 15 maybe? Was one of those. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that honestly, there's been enough surprises for, for, for from the last four years that, uh, you know, everything that's happening now is just what there's more um but you know hopefully all that uncertainty and everything goes away by january uh, january 20th right is that what the inauguration is is it 21st it's somewhere in there one of those somewhere days. in there yeah somewhere in there i know i'm coming back to berkeley um around those dates as well because i think that's when instruction starts too so uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully hopefully uh <laughs> Yeah, things are gonna go okay. The one other yeah. proposition that I was interested in was um, Prop 25, which was replacing cash bail. Mm -hmm. And that one failed. Do you know what the um, replacement system was gonna be? The replacement system was going to be a risk assessment of sorts. Um, so I know the or I believe, I didn't look this up beforehand, but off of my, based off of my memory, I believe the NAACP was against that, but the majority of Democrats were for it. Um, the argument was, or there was a fear that replacing it with a racial, uh, a system based off of um, inputs could still be racially biased. So how do you determine with some sort of system risk assessment, is that risk assessment going to be um, fair racially? 
Interesting. Yeah, it's always surprising to see um, progressive propositions not go through, especially given the the tumultuous year it was for 2020. Yeah, definitely. Um, is there anything uh, else we we should cover? No, I think that's good. I think we're just kind of sitting back and um, hanging on until things get determined by courts and hopefully there's a concession soon and we'll get through this um, Senate election. Yeah, hopefully this concession isn't a concession to a second Trump administration. Um, but yeah, just a reference, the day today is November 11th. Uh, it's a Wednesday. Uh, 20, I don't know why I said it's a Wednesday, but it literally doesn't make a difference. Uh, 2020, um, in case, in case, uh, it doesn't show on the podcasting or, or something, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Happy uh, Veterans we, Day. Happy Veterans Day. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for all the service, uh, that, you know, the veterans, um, provided for us. Uh, but yeah, we here at the Globe Bears, uh, Thank you for listening to our podcast. Uh, we got Will, Caitlin, Isabel, and Billy, all uh, very passionate about international relations, and we are happy to talk to you. Go Bears. Go Bears. Go Bears. <laughs>